We'll be reading verses 1 through, through 17, and then we'll jump down to verse 33, and we'll read verses 33 through 35. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? (laughs) Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly I, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord our God, as we gather here this evening to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, as we consider the great love with which you have loved us, I pray that you would impress that love upon our hearts by your Spirit. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us spiritual perception to understand and see and know just how great your love is so that we might be inspired to follow your example of bold, courageous, humble, and selfless love. Lord, we confess that we often fail to love one another, and yet we glory in the cross, the ultimate demonstration of your love for us. We ask, God, that you would speak, 
for we, your servants, listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight we're here to celebrate the Lord's Supper, a meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples almost 2,000 years ago. On the Thursday night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his 12 disciples into an upper room. He served them bread, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. They passed a common cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In this sacrament, Jesus transformed the Passover by showing that he fulfilled the Passover. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that we, his people, might drink the cup of God's grace. That's what makes this the new covenant. And that's what makes the new covenant new. That's what makes this sacrament a visible, holy sign and seal of the covenant of God's grace. That's why we call this sacrament communion. For in this meal, we commune with our Lord and God, even as we commune together to show our unity as the body of Christ. But there's so much more to the Last Supper than the communion meal itself. Before Jesus served this meal to his disciples, he knelt down to wash their feet. He humbled himself to serve them forever demonstrating that in Christ, the way up is the way down. In Christ, we die to ourselves so that we might live for Him. That's why we call this day Maundy Thursday. Monday is a Latin word meaning commandment. After Jesus served his disciples the bread and the wine, after he knelt down to wash his disciples' feet, Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end, saying, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. And so the question for us as people, celebrating the sacrament 2,000 years after the life death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is how exactly does God love us? And how do we, God's people, love one another with Christ-like love? How do we find joy and freedom, healing and hope through humility, sacrifice, and service? In a world where love is often cheap, and as a consequence, many of us feel worthless. Jesus comes to us tonight with a towel wrapped around his waist, a wash basin in his hand, kneeling down and saying, let me show you what love is. Tonight, as we walk through this passage, I want us to ask two big questions about this new commandment that Jesus has given us. The first is, very simple, how does Jesus 
love us? And the second question is, how do we love one another in a simple, straightforward, Christ-like way? Along the way, we will see five ways that Jesus loved us, five ways that we, as God's people, might love one another. And by the time we're done, I think we'll see that this law, this commandment, is the law of perfect freedom. Because the love of God sets us free. Here's the first observation. Jesus' love is steadfast love. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this, his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The Hebrew word for this kind of love is chesed, steadfast love. We see it in the book of Ruth when Ruth refused to abandon her mother-in-law, Naomi. On the road back to Bethlehem with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, Naomi pleaded with her daughters-in-law to return home. She said, go back to Moab, go back to your people, go back to your gods, find new husbands, have children, start a family, live your life without me. Orpah, her daughter-in-law, listened to her words and returned to Moab. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death separates me from you. Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will be with you until the very end of the age. So the question is, how do we love like that? Well, loving others with steadfast love means never giving up on people. It means loving people even when it's hard. It means loving people who frustrate us. It's loving people with whom we disagree. It means reaching out to the person who never seems to reach back. It means finishing what you start. It means keeping your promises. It means fulfilling your commitments. This week, I read a speech by Dr. Robert McQuilkin. Dr. Robert McQuilkin was the uh, president of Columbia International University, a Christian college. Eight years before he was set to retire, he resigned from the university to care for his wife, Mildred, Muriel, excuse me, Muriel, who was suffering with Alzheimer's disease. In his resignation speech, which he delivered to the campus, he said something truly remarkable. He said this, Muriel now, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy with me, and almost never happy without me. 
In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes fearful, sometimes almost in terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented, and so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not that I promised in sickness and in health to death do us part, and I'm a man of my word, but as I said, it's the only fair thing. See, she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. And so if I cared for her for the next 40 years, I would still be in her debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to. It's that I get to. I love her very dearly. She's a delight. And it's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Jesus loves us to the end. Jesus never gives up on his bride. He never gives up on the church. Neither did Dr. McQuilkin, and neither should we. Jesus' love, the kind of love that we are to demonstrate with one another, is steadfast, faithful, unfailing love. Here's the second observation. Jesus loved his disciples by humbly serving them. Real love is more than a feeling or an emotion. Real love is love in action. Now, we know from the other gospel accounts that the topic of conversation that evening is which of the disciples was to be considered the greatest in the kingdom of God. There was considerable debate about this. Which one of us disciples will sit at the right hand of the king when you come in your kingdom? Will it be Peter or James and jo- or John? Will it be Philip or Nathaniel or, or someone else? And now a hush falls over the room. As the king of kings, the one who is truly the greatest in the kingdom of God, kneels down and washes his disciples' feet. An act so humbling, an act so lowly, so degrading that even a Hebrew slave could not be required to do it. Verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The king became a servant. The king became a slave. That's how much Jesus loves us. He takes the lowest place. He takes the lowest job. He does it freely. He does it willingly. He does it without being asked. How do we love like that? What does love like that look like in the Christian life? Well, maybe it means, looks like finding the least glamorous job in your house. The job that no one wants to do and doing this job without grumbling or complaining. Whether it's washing the dishes or making the bed or walking the dog or cleaning the bathroom. Maybe it looks like volunteering for a job at church that no one else is willing to do. 
A job where you're not up front, a job where you get no credit and no recognition, a job that requires you to come on a Sunday morning at 8 a.m. when it's just me in the office back there and no one else is around, unlocking the doors, making coffee, running the sound cables, things that nobody would but God will ever see. Are you willing to humble yourself the way Jesus humbled himself? Are you willing to love like Jesus loved with a towel wrapped around your waist and a basin of water in your hand? Servant love, love like Jesus, sets us free. The third observation is this. Jesus loves people who let him down. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now keep in mind, this same Peter, the very next day, the one who, who swore that he would be with Jesus, if everyone else leaves you, Jesus, I'll be there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This same Peter would deny Jesus three times the very next day. Jesus loved him anyway. Jesus forgave him. He was patient. He was kind. And in the very last chapter of John's gospel, Jesus comes to Peter and restores him, making him one of the founding fathers of the early Christian church. Amazing. Are you willing to love people who constantly let you down? Are you willing to love people who never follow through on their commitments? The promise breakers, the fair weather friends, the people who never help you move. Jesus loved Peter, and he loves people like us. Jesus forgave Peter, and he forgives people like us, and so should we. We should give people second chances and third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances. We should forgive people, not once, not twice, not seven times. Seventy times, seven times. And before you get out your phone and pull up the calculator to figure out exactly how many times that is, Jesus is saying, a lot. Every time. Always forgive. Always love. Always serve. No matter what it, what it takes, that's how Jesus loves. Fourth observation, Jesus loves his enemies. Verse 2, we're told the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that Judas Iscariot was his enemy. He knew that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him. To Judas Iscariot, the life of Jesus, the Son of God, was worth 30 pieces of silver. And yet, 
Jesus washed his feet. Did you notice that? John doesn't tell us that Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet except for Judas Iscariot because he knew that Judas would betray him. No, he washes every one of his disciples' feet, including Judas. Jesus loves his enemies. Here's what Jesus taught us, the church, to love this way in Luke chapter 6. He writes, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross for the ungodly. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. In fact, we are saved only because Jesus loves his enemies. Following his example, we should love our enemies. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know, Pastor Joel, I, I can't really think of any enemies. I don't really have any enemies. I, you know, I love most people, and most of the people love me. Okay, fine. I'll give you some of mine. <laughs> you can love them. And then maybe you get your own enemies someday. I'll take them back. It's, it's that important. We must, as God's people, love our enemies. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And so we should be friends of sinners. Obvious sinners, notorious sinners, slapping people at the Oscars, sinners. And regular, run-of-the-mill, sitting next to you in church tonight, sinners. That's how Jesus loves us. Let go of your hatred. Let go of your animosity. Let go of your bitterness. As you come to the table tonight, leave those things where you were sitting and receive the bread of life, the cup of the new covenant, the covenant of grace. That's how Jesus loves, and his love sets us free. Last observation, number five, Jesus' love is cleansing love. In verse 8, Peter resisted Jesus rather comically. He refused to allow Jesus to wash his feet. Jesus insisted, telling Peter, unless I wash you, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, it's not about your feet. It's not about foot washing. It's about your need for cleansing. Unless I cleanse you from your spiritual filth, unless I wash you in my blood, you have no part of the kingdom of God. No hope for the resurrection. Now, this is one way in which we can't love people the way Jesus loves us. We can be steadfast, 
We can serve people. We can love people like Peter, who are a little bit difficult. We can love people like Judas Iscariot, who are our enemies. We can't wash away people's sins. That's something that only Jesus can do. But here's what we can do. We can bring people to the fountain of God's grace. We can bring people to Jesus who washes away our sins. We can show people the beauty of God's love. We can give people hope for the resurrection. Remember, this is the last supper, but in many ways, it's the first supper. It's the first supper of the new covenant. It's a supper that John called the wedding supper of the Lamb. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, because Jesus cleansed us, we know that someday we will be guests at the greatest wedding reception known to man. Where there's feasting and joy and music and laughter and celebration, a place where we are known, a place where we are loved. The question I want to close with this evening is, do you love people enough to invite them to the feast? Do you love them enough to show them the beauty of Jesus' sacrificial, holy, perfect, steadfast love? In the end, that's the greatest love that we can ever give. Through Jesus, we are cleansed. He has washed us with his blood. He brings us home to God. That's love. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great love with which you have loved us. We thank you for laying down your life on the cross. We thank you that your love is steadfast, that you never give up on us. We thank you that your love is patient and kind and gracious and good. Oh Lord, how different would the world look if we, your people, loved others the way that you have loved us? What a weighty challenge you've given us. By this, all people will know that we are your disciples if we love one another the way you have loved us. Oh, Lord God, set our hearts on fire that we might love others this way. May we, your church, kneel down at the feet of the world, loving and serving and giving so that all might see Jesus. This is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name.